physically unfair, scary, or sad. When life is unfair, when life is scary, when life is sad. And I thought, those to me don't sound good. They're not, I don't wake up, I don't think you wake up every day and go, you know what I'd like, God? Give me a little bit of sad, scary, and unfair today. So how do we understand God's goodness? How do we understand God's goodness when life isn't? How do we understand God when life is, and if we just want to summarize all of these points and many others, when life is hard, how do we understand that we still have a God that's good? And so I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, um, and we'll, we'll turn to that here in a mo- uh, and read a few verses, first um, 7 through 10, and, and just skip ahead. I know I skipped, uh, Jim. I'll come back. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 16. And this is what we read. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are who we are, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Now, skipping down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. <laughs> Friends, let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the week that we've had. We thank you for these children, these young people that you have trusted to our care. We thank you for their parents who have trusted them to our care and, and for the week of games and fun. And, and I pray of, of deepening of faith and, and a relationship with you. Bless this time that we worship, bless these kids and their families as they continue to grow and, and may their love and bonds be strengthened. And may for all of us, our faith be strengthened, deeper and more committed to you, trusting not only in what is unseen, but also in what is eternal. That is our prayer. Bless these moments. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, again, how do we begin to understand God's goodness in the face of life that is hard, that life that is, is often very, very challenging and will throw curveballs to us, will take us in directions we don't expect. A number of years ago, a, a Christian author and, and teacher by the name of Philip Yancey wrote a book. He's written a lot of books, very, very um, instrumental in my own life and in my own um, understanding of God and faith, but he wrote a book called Disappointment with God, and, and it was a book of faith, but it was dealing with the, the realities of life, and in preparation for that, he sat down with a gentleman that he'd known for a few years by the name of Douglas. Now, he talks about Douglas in his book. Douglas would be described, if we were going to, to, to give um, a, a title to, to somebody like Doug, it would be a righteous man of God. Because he was a man of faith, of deep commitment to serving Christ, to serving his community and his church. He was just one of those models of, of Christian living. But a few years prior to this sit-down, 
Doug had experienced and his family had experienced one of those kind of curveballs of life when his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she underwent the treatment and was in remission, but a little bit after that, they found spots on her lungs. And so she continued aggressive chemotherapy, and as she was physically wiped out from the treatment, some of you know both second and firsthand what that's like, um, he took care of the family. He saw to the needs of, of his family and taking care of her and helping her through what was incredibly difficult and emotionally draining days. In the midst of all of this, which would be enough for most of us, more than enough, uh, one night he and his wife and his daughter were out and they were driving through town when a drunk driver crossed the middle lane and hit him head on. Uh, his wife escaped with just some minor scrapes. His daughter had a broken arm and lacerations to her face from the glass. But Douglas sustained the worst of the injuries. He had a significant head trauma that would leave him in the aftermath of that, uh, knowing that any moment he could suffer debilitating headaches. He could never get through a full day of work because of the debilitating headaches. It left him unable to concentrate in stretches. He would lose concentration, would lose focus. And then the, the worst of it for him was that he, he saw double vision. He could no longer read, which was something he loved to do because he couldn't, he couldn't pull the letters together on the page. And so in the midst of all of this going on, he sits down with, with Philip Yancey, and Philip tells him, I'm writing this book on disappointment with God. I wonder if you would tell me some of your experiences, if you would um, share with me um, any of your disappointment with God. And Yancey recalls that he sat there for a moment, Douglas did, and just looked off into the distance, kind of stroking his beard. And, and Philip thought for a moment that he was kind of in one of those moments where he lost concentration. And finally, he looked at him and he said, you know, Philip, I, I've got to be honest with you. I've, I've never been disappointed with God. I've never blamed God for any of this. He said, certainly, I've been angry. Certainly, I've, I've, I've cursed the experience and, and the situation that my family and I have found myself in. But he said, but I've never blamed God. I believe that everything I've gone through has broken the heart of God. And then he went on to say this. He said, if we develop a relationship with God, this is Douglas speaking. He said, if we develop a relationship with God that is apart from our physical circumstances, then we are able to hang on to our faith when our physical circumstances break down. We are able to hang on to our faith when life is hard. We learn to trust God despite the unfairness of life. And I think that was a powerful statement. We learn to trust God despite the unfairness of life because faith is built on a relationship. And relationships, healthy relationships, are not transactional. Healthy relationships are not transactional. When I say transactional, I mean your healthiest relationships, whether they're marriages, whether they're friendships or parents and, and children or siblings, whatever it is, when you think about the people that you are closest to, those relationships cannot be transactional if they're going to last. And when I say transactional, this is what I mean. Relationship that is built on, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. As long as you maintain your end of the bargain, I will continue to be in the relationship. But as soon as you break your whatever end is, as soon as you fail to do what I need you to do, the relationship's over. 
And the reason I say that your healthiest relationships can't be transactional, because if they are, you don't have those relationships anymore. Because if you've been married for more than a couple months, your spouse has dropped the ball. At some point, all of us, all of us, your marriage would never last. Your friendships would never last if the moment your friend disappointed you or didn't live up to your expectations, you ended the relationship. I mean, apply that to whatever relationship you want to. And so what Douglas is saying is the relationship is built, his faith was built on a relationship that's not transactional. Too often our faith is built on a transactional relationship with God. And this is what that looks like. God, as long as you do this, I will believe in you. As long as you deliver, as long as life is good, things go my way, I get the promotion, my family's healthy, um, you know, the, the, the finances are there, then I will believe in you. And the problem with the transactional relationship is when life gets hard, the foundation of faith crumbles. It, it just crumbles. Because there is no promise in the scriptures. There's no promise in our faith that life is always going to be good. That life is always going to be easy. That's, that's, that's a, uh, that is a unfaithful an unbiblical understanding of faith. And so I appreciated the lessons this week when life is unfair, when life is scary, when life is sad, as well as when life changes and when life is good, because that's real. That's real. And we want children and we want all of us to be set up to understand that our faith isn't an insulator from difficulty. It's a promise in the midst of them. So what do we affirm? How do we say God is good when life is hard? We do that by understanding the nature of the relationship. We understand what God has done, what God is doing, and what God promised he will do. And so to start about what God has done, we focus on the central figure of our faith. We look at Jesus. One of the things that Douglas said to, to Philip Yancey at the end of that breakfast together, he said to Philip, he said, I want you to go home today and I want you to read the Gospels again which is quite a bold statement to say to a biblical teacher, a Bible teacher, and Christian author. He said, go read the Gospels again and then ask, answer this question. Was life fair to Jesus? Was life fair to Jesus? The central symbol of our faith is a symbol of inherent cruelty and unfairness, and that's the cross. The cross was, by its nature, a symbol of death. And it reminds us that the man who healed the sick, welcomed the outcast, loved the unlovable, forgave the unforgivable, challenged the religiously self-righteous, the one who did those things ended up nailed to a tree. Again, was life fair to Jesus? And yet, the prophecies was that by his stripes, by his suffering, we are healed. That God's plan of salvation, that God's, God's um, plan of redemption was worked out in the brokenness of humanity, in the brokenness of what, what Jesus would experience. And so that becomes this affirmation that even in the hard, even in the sad, even in the scary, that God is working to bring redemption and wholeness. And so we recognize that that, that power that Christ that, that raised Christ from the dead, that overcome, overcame death with life and darkness with light, happened, and the theater fall of that was the unfairness and the difficulty and the hard of life. 
So if following Jesus isn't a promise that we don't experience that, what is it? Well, it's a promise that the strength of Christ is at work in us. The one who was able to overcome, who had victory over all things, is the power at work in us. And so we remember that Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, the last words he speaks in the gospel, after he gives the disciples their marching orders, after he sends them out to share the good news, he says, oh, and by the way, I'm with you. I'm with you always. In, if you were here last week, we talked about in John 14 that Jesus says, I'm sending the comforter, the advocate to you, the Holy Spirit. And so that the power at work in Christ is the power at work in and through us. It's God's presence. And so when the kids read scriptures like Nahum 1-7 that says, The Lord is good, a refuge even in times of trouble. We have to pay attention to the words. It's not a refuge or a protection from times of trouble. It's a refuge in times of trouble. I wish, Jesus said, if you follow me, you won't have trouble. What does Jesus say? In fact, in John 16, he says, In this world you will have many troubles, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so we remember that strength. David in the 23rd Psalm, those words that we, many of us know so well. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And we remember the story of David. David was the faithful shepherd. He was a young man and a man of faith. He's the man that stepped out on the battlefield in the face of a giant that wouldn't stand for the mocking of his God, that was obedient to serve the king. He did everything right. And if you know the story of David's early years, doing everything right led him to hiding out in a cave for a king that was trying to kill him. Led him, led him to living day by day, wondering whether any moment, any step, any breath would be his last. And yet in the midst of that, he says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In this world you will have troubles, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We are imperfect vessels filled with with the power of a perfect God. Paul would later say that, or God would say to Paul, he says, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. Paul says, I delight in weakness because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the power of God. And so Paul uses this image here, this, this letter in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and he, he used this image of, of an earthen vessel, a jar of clay. And, and if you're familiar with that, what he's doing is he's saying that we are brittle vessels. A jar of clay, a cup, of, uh, a cup made out of clay, was disposable. It would crack easily, it would break easily, you'd get a little bit of life out of it, and then inevitably you'd throw it away. And that's a lot of times in archaeological sites, they'll find shards of clay, because a lot of times when they broke, you just busted them and moved on. So, so if we were going to translate that, I was thinking, well, what would that be in modern language? Well, you know what it would be? I started to think about this. If, if we were going to kind of tell it from our perspective, he's using this image for us. Um, it's a plastic cup. Plastic cups. Now, the thing about a plastic cup is they break really easily. And we don't really care. They're brittle. In fact, who wants to volunteer? You want to volunteer? Let me just get one of the kids. You want to volunteer? Come here for a second. Do me a favor. All right? I'm going to hold it. You squeeze it real hard. Squeeze it, squeeze it. Arrgh! What happened? You broke my cup. You broke my cup. Jars of clay. We break really, really easy. Now, in fact, let's do it again. Who else wants to help? 
Come on, come on. You squeeze this one for me. You ready? Squeeze it hard. Squeeze it. Squeeze it. You quit. What'd you give up for? You couldn't, couldn't squeeze it, right? This one, easy. This one, they're the same plastic cups. They're no different on the outside. Obviously, something very different on the inside. Frozen ice. Frozen ice. Now, that becomes a strength. It's not indestructible. It still can suffer the hardships. In fact, I thought this was an interesting um, illustration that I didn't plan for. One of the cups I froze cracked. Cracked. What does Paul say? He says, we're jars of clay. He says, we are um, perplexed, but, but not in despair. We're, we're pressed upon, but not crushed. We are brittle, if you allow me to paraphrase. We're brittle, but we're not broken. What makes that possible? It's the power of God at work. Jars of clay, easily broken, yet with Christ's power. We face the hardships. We face them, but we face them with a power at work that has overcome the world. That's the promise of what God. The, the Jesus who suffered the unfairness of life is the Jesus who says, my strength is your strength. And so our affirmation of faith is not that it won't happen. We don't, we don't, the Scripture doesn't sugarcoat human suffering. I'm not going to stand up here and say to you, hey, life's hard. Just press on. Just don't worry about it. It'll be okay. No, sometimes it's really just stinks. It's, it's tough. It's not the kind of thing you rub some dirt on and just get back in the game. All right. Sometimes it's really, really hard. God's promise is I'll be your strength. I'll be your strength. So we celebrate not what God has done in Christ, what God does for us. And then we also celebrate the promise that's yet to come. And that's what Paul writes at the very end. The last verses I read, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says in Romans that I consider our present sufferings nothing, momentary, nothing to be compared to the glory that awaits. There is a promise of what is yet to come. There is a promise that, that, that what we experience in this life is momentary. Now, momentary can seem like a long time. A few moments can seem like an attorney. If you've ever been on a table in a doctor's office, you know that momentary can feel like an eternity. I went in this week to have some continuing procedures done on, um, on my legs, and they were, they were doing some shots around the ankle. And the, the doctor said to me, at one point I'm laying there, because it's really been very easy at this point, and he said to me, he's like, all right, I'm just warning you, in a moment you're not going to like me very much. And I'm like, ugh. And it was the worst. And for two to three to ten hours, I don't know how long it was, but I just sat there and I mean, I could feel myself. I was anticipating how much this was going to hurt because, like I said, it was at the ankle. He told me it was going to hurt. I believed him. And it was only a couple minutes, but it felt like forever. Momentary can feel. Now, here's the kicker. When he gave me the shot, I didn't feel a thing. It didn't hurt at all, but the anticipation was brutal. But but momentary can feel like a long time. Our lives can feel very long. But Jesus says, and, and Paul says, and the faith says that, that remember, no matter how long our lives are, they are but a moment in light of eternity, in light of a greater promise that is yet to come. Revelation 21 points that picture. 
God says, I will be their God. They will be my people, and I will wipe away every tear. Sorrow, hurting, hard will be no more. That's a promise of yet to come. Now, that doesn't always comfort us in the moment. Jesus is there in the moment. But when we look at the long view, we have the promise not only of what is, but what is yet to come. That's how God works in the was, in the is, and the what will be. And that's how when life is hard, we can affirm that promise that God is good. Because we have a Christ that is our strength for today and for tomorrow. So again, yes, sometimes life is scary. Sometimes life is sad. Sometimes life is unfair. But in all things, God is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we we do thank you for your promise and and your strength to get us through the, the, the moments that are difficult and challenging. Our faith isn't a protection of them. It's a strength in the midst of them. Or not a protection from them, but a strength in the midst of them. So help us to hold on to that faith. Lord, help us to hold on to you. And to affirm in all things, you are good. And there is a promise that we have that is for today and for tomorrow. And for that, we give you thanks. In Christ's holy name, amen. Amen. And so...